Hello there, Hudson Valley. We interrupt your irregularly scheduled podcast to bring you this Battle of Kisco special. The Battle of Kisco is a two-round tournament to be held at Leonard Park in Mount Kisco on June 8th, which is next Saturday. As a history major, I was really excited to research this battle and weave a little bit of history into the podcast. I studied history at the University of Memphis and learned a lot about the Civil War while I was there. I learned that the South was very close to winning the War of Northern Aggression. I learned that despite the North having advantages in manpower, manufacturing, weaponry, and funds, it was really a toss-up until the end. And I also learned that many in the South believed that it was fought over states' rights. So when the opportunity to look into what was sure to be a revolutionary war battle came up, I was excited. Heck, it could have been a battle from the French and Indian War and I'd have been happy. One of the reasons we moved back to New York was its rich history, its Revolutionary War era relics, like Washington's headquarters, the Purple Heart Museum, Knox headquarters, and Gary Mason. The other reason we moved was Memphis itself. Other than a small, super cool group of friends who refused to listen to this podcast and Beth, Thanks, Beth. Let's just say Memphis is a nice place to visit, but you wouldn't necessarily want to live there. I'm sorry, what were we talking about again? Oh yeah, the Battle of Kisco. I dove into the research for this tournament headfirst, and that's when I realized that this was going to be harder than I thought. I began looking the same way most people do. I used Google. Unfortunately, the only Google results I got were from Disc Golf Scene. I was undeterred. If there's one thing that the Hudson Valley area is well known for is its folklore. We got your Sleepy Hollow. We got Rip Van Winkle. We got Rob Vilecki acing hole three silver blue at Warwick. Oral histories like those have been told down through generation after generation. So with that in mind, I'd go to the people. Surely they would have some answers. Hey Gary, have you ever heard of the Battle of Kisco? No. Farad Coleman. Have you ever heard of the Battle of Kisco? I have not. Uh, hey, Chicken Wing. Eric. Uh, so, Andrew. Dan. Craig. Eric. Uh, hey, John. Elizabeth. Hey, uh, Chris Yake. Have you ever heard of the Battle of Kisco? No. No. No, what's that? I have not. No? No. Uh, no, I've never heard of the Battle of Kisco. Uh, no? Uh, no, I haven't. Mike Bruni, you live in Hawthorne, which is not far from Mount Kisco. Have you ever heard of the Battle of Kisco? No. Okay, that is not at all how I expected that to go. At this point, I'm slightly deterred, but I still have options. Time to bring out the big guns. A major reason for starting this podcast was to learn from those that have played disc golf for a long time. FDR has Bill Newman. Warwick, Wolfwoods, and Oasis have Dan Doyle. But if we're talking about Kisco, only one name comes up over and over. Course pro and arborist, Daver Coates. I was really excited to speak with him, and I look forward to having him on for a full interview, but I did get the chance to chat with him for a little bit. My love from the game is rooted in a love of forestry. I'm, I'm 57. We played this course the year after it was installed, 1978. Just me and my friends came. We played it once and then uh then i started playing ultimate and really loved ultimate the team sport i played competitive ultimate for about 18 years in high school and college and then pro did, did not touch the di golf disc till 92 well i started to slow down as an ultimate player so i and friends started playing here the the course started getting a little more organized and someone invited me to play and i came and someone showed me how to throw a golf disc and fell in love with it i think it was an arrow it's kind of like an all-purpose approach putter drive this that was out back in the 80s. When I first went and bought this, I got a AVR, an XD, and a, and a Cobra. Oh, I just play local tournaments. Yeah. I was still playing Ultimate. I still 
played Ultimate through the 90s. So do you, do you play Ultimate still? Or no? Not anymore, nope. Was this the I didn't course hang up. In Westchester it was. Yeah. I mean, Cranberry. Is that the, the second Cranberry one? was the second one in this area. Well, yeah. for the first course pro, when I first started playing, was a guy named Dave Jones, who has since moved to Norwalk. Now he's part of the Cranberry scene. And, now, and then uh, Bill Newman took over from the late 90s into uh, till he decided to take on the FDR project. And then he designed and, and built FDR. Oh, yeah, he, he asked me, because I'm an arborist, he asked me to do some species analysis, and I helped, helped him pick some fairways. And I'm always pro-tree. Everyone always uh, calls heavily forested holes daver holes. So this wasn't the original hole one? No, no. Original hole one was down there. Okay, by the benches? To a basket up here. And I believe hole two was right there. I think it went down. And then hole three, all the holes were like 110, 120 oh, so feet. Pitching yeah. Oh, okay. uh, yes. It was 1977. Everyone was playing with those. Everybody that always says there's like one or two maybe original holes left, is that the case here? or are there... I think we're down to one. Which one? Pinball Alley. It sounds like the trees brought you to disc golf as opposed to disc golf bringing you to the tree. Yeah, when uh, someone invited me to start playing disc golf again, 92, I was like, wow, this is a perfect sport for me. Yeah. I get the trees and, and get to play Frisbee. My high school, John Jay High School in, in Cross River, had lots of trees on campus. And we uh, we started a tree climbing club called TCU. And we used to sneak onto campus in the middle of the night and put flags sticking out of the top of the tree to show we were there. Tree Climbers Union. We were famous. We uh, we made the New York Times. At one point, we had 28 trees on campus with flags in them. And, we, and, we, and then we started going out around town. We'd pick a big pine tree in the middle of Katona and put a big American flag in it. No one knew how it got there. And then you went to, did you go to college for it? No, I did not. For arboriculture, no, I did not. I uh, went to University of Washington, tried to study liberal arts, didn't do too well. So I just came home and someone said, Dave, you like to climb trees? Here, I'll give you 125 bucks if you work with me. And I uh, fell in love with arboriculture that summer. That's what I've, I've done over the years. I've keep track of certain species and try to maintain them and, and then prune them when they get a little out of control. Yeah, it's amazing. I still, I still, as long as I've been here, I still happen across trees I haven't seen. <laughs> You'd think I'd know every, You'd know single, every one. single one. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite course other than Kisco? Favorite small course or favorite big course? Because Kisco is kind of a part of the small course. Um, nice. I mean, they would have to be uh, Warwick. Warwick's a great. That's only because I know it. Any particular layout? I really like Wolf Woods, but but it's just uh, I don't think it's quite quite there to the point. Really good course that I really like is Bridgeport in this area. Yep. Have you, have you played a? It's another. No, I haven't. I've only played it once, and I, I was just curious if it's changed since. They oh. just announced their tournament. They changed one hole because a dog park got put in, so yeah, they yeah, had yeah. to move I, a hole. I played it at um, last year's NIFA, the, the NIFA championships. It was the first time I played it, and I like it. It's very I similar like that. to this course, I think. Yeah. It, it's kind of like, you know, I don't I think it's as tight as this course, but it's definitely like very kind of specific lines and a lot of elevation, a lot of hills. I like Bridgeport because it seems like first hole's Heiser left, second yeah. hole Heiser right, third hole, Anheuser le yeah. left, fourth hole, Anheuser right. It's like all really nice shot balance. Yeah. 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 Oh, geez. That's my new throw. It's in the fairway. <laughs> it's an opportunity. That's right, baby. Watch this par. Could be greatest par of all time. Sometimes, though, if you get to save a par like that, sometimes that feels a little better than a birdie. I think a, a long putt for a par save on your first hole of a tournament is so much better for you oh. than a birdie putt. Yeah. Yeah, because if you birdie the first hole of a tournament, you're all of a sudden you're gonna think you're like Steve Brinster, right? But, but <laughs> right. guess what? You're not. You make a good hard work and par, and you're like, wow, that's how I 
that's how I fly. I'm a yeah. hard-working man. I, but it's got to be for par. If you hit an early putt for birdie, you get a false sense of security, I think. Okay, come on. Come on, get come on. It. This is going to be the greatest bogey of all time. <laughs> Who wants to see a big bogey? I guess I'm not going to make my tree climbing appointment. <laughs> How far are you? I live 15 minutes away, but I'm having fun. Did you and Newman ever have a disc golf rival? Oh, that's a great question. You mean compet? You mean competitively? You mean have we ever been on the lead card together at a tournament? Yeah. Did you ever heard any, any, any couple? Of, I I think he was better than me. He was on lead cards at tournaments when I started playing, and then as I got better, I think he was getting more into building his courses, and he, I don't think he was playing as much. So I can't remember. You know, just just you know, weekly doubles. We've certainly gotten competitive. My main philosophy is I believe disc golf is a is a sport that can be played in a forest while maintaining the health of the forest. I think it's more important to maintain the health of the forest than play of the course. I think a healthy forest will yield a healthy course. Plus, I think working with a forest is less work. If you try to fight a forest, you're gonna, it's gonna fight back. Thanks a lot, Daver, and thanks to Adam Gutman, who you heard there as well. Those two gave me a lot of their time last Saturday, and in addition to that short interview, I'll have a full interview with Adam, and I was able to pull several tips from Daver that could be applied to your local course. You'll be hearing them soon. That Daver guy sounds like someone who would know the history of the area and of the course. So who better to ask about the Battle of Kisco? There was no Battle of Kisco. Uh, As a matter of fact, the Native Americans that lived in this area were extremely peaceful. They didn't even have a word to describe violence in their language. Okay, well, the course pro and arborist says that the battle didn't happen. I'll admit, I'm a little shaken. I'd be more shaken, however, if I didn't have an ace in the hole. Assistant Tournament Director Adam Gutman, he's helping Angelo run this tournament and had some say in the naming of the tournament. If anyone would have the scoop, it would be him. I didn't want to do something boring that was kind of like the Kisco Open or the, you know, whatever. So I just honestly I looked around at other names and saw the Battle of something. I was like, oh, Battle of Kisco. Cool. Yeah, Battle of Saratoga. Yeah. Did not think about it in that other way. That um, was a battle. That was a fair fight. Anything around here was not a fair fight. But yeah, so um, we'll see about the name for next year but just happy to be throwing two rounds in the summer. And also happy to be uh, hopefully putting in the second baskets before the tournament. Yeah. Oh, really? Are, are you going to try to do two different layouts? Or? Yeah, so the plan for the tournament, um, we're going to put all the second pin positions in. So we'll have the short and the longs, and we'll play you know, both so you layouts. two baskets in? We'll have two baskets on all the holes that currently have two pin positions. So that's hole two, that's hole four and five. That will also be hole 16. Uh, we'll play 18 long up to the practice basket, and then I think there's a second pin position on nine too as well, David. Right? I don't know. I it's hard to hard to not play that clip oh, hole I mean, when you're walking right by it anyway. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm conflicted. At the beginning of that clip, I was not too happy with Mr. Gutman. No battle at Kisco? I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Adam, but some of us are doing an entire podcast special about this battle. Fortunately, as he continued to speak, I found myself in a more forgivable mood. And then he got me. Both layouts. I can't say for sure, but I don't think I've ever played all of the alternate pins at Kisco. So to have a chance to play both in the same day, I'll be there. But what now? I've been preparing this episode for days in hopes of diving into some local history. With no battle to analyze, how can I record a special? Luckily, we have Daver Coates. He'll be the first to tell you that the written history of this area is limited, but he has an educated and interesting account of Leonard Park. I've gotten information over the years about the Native Americans in this area, but it's it's uh, not well known and not really that established. There wasn't that much uh, 
no record. They were wiped out with no record, which is very sad. The fact well, that this area was a ceremonial ground, I think, is, is pretty much well established in the Native American lore. But it's hard to verify. Well, I, I have I have been hanging out with a Native American up in Dutchess County lately. Oh yeah. I've been thinking of inviting him here, not to play disc, just to see Check see what land. what he thinks of this area and if my suspicions are right. I believe this was a winter camp for the Native Americans. They used to have they have their long lodges all here in the winter. Okay. Because in the winter, this area is 20 degrees warmer than the other side of the mountain. Blocked from all the wind coming across. And they had too. fresh water down there, so they would come here every winter. So imagine a thousand Native Americans living in this area. A chief or a sachem or someone visitor, visitor to stand up high and have people listen to them. Right here, look how flat this is. Perfect place for a long lodge. The uh, the sachem or the, the holy man was very powerful. Um, other tribes would come from a thousand miles away to come to their meetings here, right in this park. So this is uh, what I believe was a sacred spot for the Native Americans. Do you see that rock? If you look closely, you can see it resembles a bear head. Do you see it? There's a, if you get up close, you can see I it. I see a T-Rex. You can see it pretty clearly. See the mouth right here? Stay, you can stay back a little bit. Here's the mouth, here's the eye, here's a little ear. Oh yeah, yeah. There's even, I think, a nostril. The Native Americans thousand years ago in this area believed anything that bore something's resemblance had its spirit. The bear was Ursus. It was the biggest god of them all. It was the biggest foe in the forest when they were hunting. It was the biggest challenge of a warrior to kill a bear. And it was the greatest spirit. So they used to do ceremonies in front of rocks that looked like bear heads. There's lots of bear heads throughout the Northeast. There's one in, in uh, Ward Poundridge Reservation. And it looks like this. It's called Bear Rock. And uh, a guy from American Natural History came up, did a dig, found arrowheads and pottery dating back 2,000 years. Uh, right in front of the rock. So I believe this was a bear rock. I also believe this was one of the main entrances up to the winter camp. I think this was probably where, you know, they had guards on all these rock crops ready to alert if... Uh, I mean, super protected here, too. Totally from, protected. You're elevated. The, 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 yeah. the baseball field was a swamp, impenetrable. Their idea of being prepared was scrambling. Yeah. If you ever saw Dances with Wolves, when the army finds their winter camp and they're going down the hill and they're about to attack and all of a sudden all they find is smoking fire pits. Just gone. They just gone. Yeah. 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 I mean, they probably did that around here. But I've always thought this area is very powerful. Big meetings were here. You come here on a full moon and it's pretty intense. See the turtle tree? It's the snapping turtle. How did it get? How did it? Um, that probably, that tree probably grew on a stump. Okay. It and grew the over and the stump decayed. But now, see the two legs? I don't know if you've ever seen a really big snapping turtle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a snapping turtle tree. Oh, yeah, okay. I can see it. Yep. <laughs> it's, like you gotta it's even got the tail. Yep. <laughs> so this is, I've always thought this is a sacred spot. I, I call this, this is right here where I, I believe the chief used to sit. He used to put his feet here. Well, this the shaman shop. I believe this hilltop was sacred. Remember what I said? Yeah, this is the, the up here. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Down there, I think. This is also is kind of the highest point, yeah, right? I think that's where the uh, the shaman used to hang out. Thanks again, Daver. He pointed out several significant locations throughout the course, and you can find them if you look hard enough. Or you can listen for a future episode of the Hudson Valley Disc Golf Podcast, in which I'll get to speak with him at greater length. Now, I started this special in search of history, and unfortunately, the Battle of Kisco wasn't it. But Daver did provide some insight as to how this area was likely used, and it did scratch the itch I had to include some local history into the podcast. But sometimes you learn things that you would rather not know. So we're going to finish off tonight with something Daver wanted people to be aware of. 
My goal with this podcast is to be positive in every aspect. I feel as though the disc golf course is a place where we can all work out any negativity in the form of a throw. With that said, not everything is peaceful. But uh, there's one there's one moment in history that's etched in stone in Native Americans in this area when uh, Colonel Underhill came up Mianus River Gorge and attacked 300 sleeping men and women without warning. Well, actually, they probably knew they were coming, but they were done running. And uh, they burned them alive in their long lodge. The one thing that the that made it from that attack was when they had, they had like 100 pe- people, men, women, children, in uh, Wikiup that they lit fire, the big group. No one made a sound. No one screamed. It's a very, very sad point in American history, what, what happened to the Native Americans, not just here, but... So I've always kept them in mind when I play this course, when I work on this course. Well, the, the slaughter, I mean, needs to get out there. We, you know, I, I really think people need to know what happened in Bedford. But, uh, you know, Native Americans all are about, all about forgiveness. I'd like to thank Adam Gutman, Daver Coates, and Wheels for the background music. We'll have more from Allentown on the next show and part two of my Ryan Nelson interview. I may have some other fun content as well. Your guess is as good as mine. Speak to you then. Sweet up, Hudson Valley.